Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. I've titled this sermon, um, Circumstances and Character. Circumstances and Character. Well, if you guys will, read with me now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, the Crescens for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichius I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. The Lord is faithful. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Nithers. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Putin's, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, humbly come before you again, and we're thankful that we can read your word. We're thankful that we have your word. We're thankful that we can come before you and uh, worship you um, with the freedom that we have. Father, we ask that as we study you, we read your word, Lord, that you speak to us, that you convict us where we need to be convicted, that you encourage us where uh, we need to be encouraged. Father, we simply ask that you speak to us today. In any of my words, let them fall to the ground so that your word may go forth. We praise you, worship you, thank you, amen. So, circumstances and character is our sermon title today. Now, it is pretty crazy that we are still going through what we are going through um, with everything and the quarantine and uh, the coronavirus numbers still rising. Um, but during this time of uh, quarantine, many of us have found ourselves morphing into Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, you might know Chip and Joanna Gaines if you don't. You know, they're fabulous people that are constantly redoing homes. I'm still looking for my home in South Florida that I can find for $40,000, put $150,000 into it, and I have a uh, $1 million house at the end of it. Um, it's kind of hard to find in South Florida, but we have found ourselves picking up projects, doing things, and morphing into Chip and Joanna Gaines. Um, it's so funny, Caroline Offerdahl gave my wife the Joanna Gaines um, book, and it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty, pretty thick book all about interior, interior design. And um, 
Caroline and myself, and I think everybody else in the world, grabs that book and flips through and gets ideas from the pictures. Well, my wife is now on a first name basis with Joanna. She has read the entire book, and every time she has a suggestion for what's next to do in our house, and I say, ah, I really don't like that, I get the response of, well, Joanna says. I'm like, what? How are you on a first name basis after just reading her book? Um, who cares what Joanna says? If I don't like it, I don't like it. I don't care if it has to be asymmetrical and you have to have three pillows here, a plant there, and a stack of books with a clock on top. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but quarantine has been fun for some. It's been fun getting projects done that you've not touched in your house in years. It's fun getting things built that you haven't built. Um, it's, maybe it's fun you get to spend more time with the family. But I do have to say that it has been extremely difficult for myself. And uh, I've been able to connect with a bunch of different people from our church, and I've heard a very similar thing. Um, this quarantine has been tough. It's something that we're not used to. It's something um, that's outside of the ordinary, and it's really taking a toll on uh, myself. And uh, this season is definitely very rough for the majority of people, whether it be a loss of a job, or whether it be uh, family struggles, or maybe depression has come out of nowhere and you never struggled with that and now you're finding yourself struggling with that. Maybe fear and anxiety has uprooted and um, you're just going through something. And I know for me, family struggles has been like a huge thing, uh, being locked in the house uh, with my family, working from home, and uh, never finding my escape time. And then when the beaches were shut down and I couldn't go fishing, um, that really like killed me. Um, but it's been hard for all of us. And the circumstance that we find ourselves in, um, I realized, is really bringing out a different type of character in me that I uh, thought that I had dealt with a long time ago, and um, it seemed to have come back. And so now I find myself dealing with things that I feel like I conquered um, all over again, and uh, it's, it's truly funny how our consequences um, really shed light on who we really are and what's really inside of us. When, when things get hard, when things get pressured um, in our circumstances, what truly is inside of us? What is the character that shines forth? You know, I, we ask the question of name some of the, your best character traits. And those are the things that we love to show about ourselves. And those are the things that we love to be known by. But then there's other character traits that we like to hide, that we don't like to show to everybody. And that's exactly what I want to take a look at today. And as we read through these list of names and as we look at all these different things that Paul has um, said, uh, there's a couple things I want you guys to be able to um, ask yourself. I want you to look at yourself and say, hey, that person that Russ just read and I just read about, is that me? Is that a good character trait that I, I have? Is that something that I don't have, that I need to have? Is that something that I have, I just not fully developed in it, and I need to develop it? Um, I want you guys to really, truly examine your heart, your mind, your soul. Get to the core of who you are as we look at these people and see what needs to change in you and see what you need to improve on and look past the facade that we all portray on the outside whether it be your strength, whether it be your stability, um, whether it be your success. There's a front that we all tend to um, put out there about ourselves, and, but what truly inside of us needs 
work. You see, Paul finds himself in a different circumstance, um, one that he's somewhat used to, but this is different in the sense that this is very rough for him. Um, to give you a little background of 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing this letter, and this is his second time uh, in Roman imprisonment. Um, the thing that's completely different from this one is that he's on death row, actually awaiting to be beheaded. And uh, what he is doing right now, he's writing down his final thoughts on paper that he wanted to address and things that he wanted to make known. And uh, this, is the exact, this is the very tail end of his thoughts on paper. And uh, this is going to be the last written uh, correspondence that we know of um, before he was beheaded. Um, but let's take a look at him and the list of these different people and how, what was their character during the different circumstances that they found themselves in um, and see how we can relate that to the circumstance that we're in, which is completely different than what we're used to. So let's start in verse 9. If you guys want to join me, um, it says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Be diligent to come to me quickly. You see, most this is probably the most uncomfortable imprisonment that Paul has faced up until this point. Um, most of his imprisonments, he was found himself in house arrest, um, where he was able to still have visitors. He was still able um, to uh, have people come to him. He was still able to preach at certain times. He was uh, writing tons and tons of letters, most of the New Testament. Um, but this one's a little bit different. We see himself to be almost a lot more alone uh, than he had been in the past. Um, it also, um, many believe that the type of prison that he was in is far, far worse. Um, many believe that he was in a pit um, with about 20 other or so prisoners, and they were actually chained to the walls, and then they were able to, uh, to come out and leave um, for certain circumstances and certain times during the day. Um, but all in all, it was a lot more harsh than anything that he had experienced up until this point as far as prison. And what is the very first thing he says? He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. You see, he is yearning for companionship and community. Something that every single one of us might be yearning for right now is uh, companionship and community, life going back to normal, us all getting back into church and uh, enjoying each other's company all over again, for community groups to start back up and meeting in people's houses and hanging out. It's something I know I'm extremely looking forward to. Um, but the truth of it is, is we find ourselves yearning for these things because we were never meant to be alone. It's Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 um, and it reads and the Lord God said it is not good that man be alone I will make him a helper comparable to him you see Adam was never meant to be alone we were never meant to be alone we were never meant to feel this 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 yearning that that uh, we are alone we were meant to have each other and so when you remove uh, people from our lives, when you remove community, there should be this yearning sense that, oh, I just, you know, I just want to go out to dinner with them. Oh, I just want to get together with my community group. I just want to see people at church again and talk and enjoy coffee together and do different things. When that is removed, it becomes harsh. It's harsh because it's something that we were never meant to experience. Now, um, one of the beautiful things about Genesis is that, is that God created Eve um, for Adam. And um, I have my very own uh, Eve at home, uh, Vanessa, that I love 
dearly, and um, I truly did not understand how unself-sufficient I was. Is that if, that, if that's even a word, unself-sufficient, uh, I was until I got married. And um, I realized that my diet um, wasn't balanced. I didn't eat vegetables. I still, if I'm alone at home, I probably typically only eat meat. And uh, it's probably usually fried or grilled. And uh, I'm extremely unhealthy. I realized that I never make the bed. I never clean the house unless someone's coming over. And uh, I realized that if my wife... Um, uh, anything were to happen, uh, I would be in trouble. <laughs> I, could, I personally could not live without my wife taking care of me and uh, my boys. And I could not imagine, uh, even if she were to leave for a week to go visit family or to go, uh, uh, when we lived in New Jersey, she used to come down to Florida for a week and I used to go nuts. And then I see myself scrambling the day before she's getting home to take everything that I've microwaved, all the dishes I used to microwave and throw them into the sink and try to get them, you know, what somewhat cleaned before she got home and to make the bed and to tidy up and pick my shoes up and uh, uh, do everything except clean the garage because I still can't do that uh, myself. She still helps me out with that one. Um, but we were never meant to be alone. You see, uh, our community group guys um, have decided that we, uh, after a couple weeks of not getting together because of the shutdown, we decided, hey, listen, this is not healthy for any of us. And now every Thursday we get together um, and we play spike ball. And uh, some of the other community guys have joined us. So if you're out there and you want to play spike ball, Thursday nights, it's a big plug. Uh, we have a good thing going. Come out and uh, enjoy. Reach out to me afterwards for any questions or comments. We can get you added to the spike ball group. Um, but anyway, we decided that we cannot uh, continue life without us getting together, hanging out, fellowshipping, uh, and uh, it's something that we miss completely, and so we found ourselves doing it again. Um, the problem is, is that in our relationships and inside our community, we typically, uh, in our flesh, uh, are simply just looking uh, for goods and services from people. How can they make me feel good? And once they've made me feel good and they've filled that void, then they're gone. Well, the thing about community and the thing that Paul is feeling here goes much deeper than just the goods and the services that come along with community and friendships. He's missing something that he needs earnestly. He's missing a connection. He's missing a connection where he can pour out himself to tell everything that's going on to him, to get feedback, to have someone listen, to have someone care and love for him and speak truth into their life, and then the reciprocal of that person pouring out. We need each other. We were never meant to be alone. We were never meant to experience life together. And now we see Paul is going through this extremely tough time and he is looking for Timothy. And he says, hey, Timothy, I need you to be diligent and come to me quickly. I need you close to my side. I need somebody that I've lived life together with. I need somebody that's been with me in my ups and downs. I need somebody to be there just to talk. You see, he was looking for Timothy because Timothy was very special to him. Timothy was a spiritual son that he had. You see, Timothy uh, joined Paul on their adventure when Timothy was only 15 years of age. Now, it is said that Timothy is probably about 30. So it looks like Timothy has been traveling with Paul for about 15 years. Um, and uh, what we realize is that when you travel with somebody and you sit under their teachings, um, you become like-minded with that person. 
you have the same desires to glorify God in everything, to preach the word, to do all these different things. And so what Paul was really looking for was somebody that was uh, like-minded, somebody that had uh, something in common with him that he connected, and uh, that's what he was earnestly uh, going for. And you see, that is why we have the church. We are supposed to be like-minded. Um, we should have all the same goals, and um, we should be able to pour out and live our daily lives. And so we see Paul, he is um, at this time where he's just diligently seeking somebody. And um, the beautiful thing about it is the circumstance he in, is he in uh, is not a good circumstance. Um, but we see his character overcome that by realizing that he needs community to help him uh, be who all he needs to be. And he's going to go through right now, we're going to look at these different people that he, uh, he reaches out to and, and talks about. And the first one in verse 10 is Demas. And it says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and having departed for Thessalonica. So the very first person that we see Paul writing about here is Demas. And he uses a very strong language here and he says forsaken. This word means deserted or abandoned in a dire situation. So this might not be a character trait that you want to have, and I hope that you definitely don't want to have, but it might be something that you see uh, uprising in you every so often. It says that uh, we, well, we don't really know much about uh, Demas outside of, we see him in Colossians chapter 4, and we see him in Philemon uh, verse 24, and all it refers to him as is a fellow worker. So this is somebody that worked alongside Paul, furthering the gospel message. You see, the problem with Demas is he found himself grasping for temporal things instead of the eternal things. He was going after things that were uh, temporary instead of looking unto God for the things that were eternal. And uh, the, what we'll be looking at with all these different people, or most of these people, is their names. And Demas's name means governor of the people. You see, Demas was going to do what was popular in the eyes of the people because he was looking to get their approval. You see, at that time, Christianity was one of the furthest things um, away from the popularity. And the reason being that during this time was that Nero uh, burned down a huge section of Rome. And he burnt it down in order to rebuild his kingdom. And if all the people found out that it was the king that was burning down Rome, uh, they would all be absolutely um, outraged, and they would look to take over. So what did Nero do? He said it was the Christians. And so because he said it was the Christians, everybody hated the Christians. Christians were, were facing persecution um, all over the place. They were being hung on crosses throughout Rome. Uh, they were being thrown in prison. They were being beaten. And so Christianity definitely was not one of the popular things. So when Demas has forsaken me, that's a very possible reason why Demas had left, because he was either scared or he just wanted the popularity of the people and he couldn't gain that. Uh, if he was a Christian, but we see that he left. Now, my question to you is, have you ever chased a circumstance um, just to want success um, instead of chasing God's will and doing what God wanted you to do? Did you ever do something that you thought was the popular thing to do? so that you could gain something, so you could gain a feeling, so that maybe you can take your circumstance where you're at and move up to a higher circumstance 
um, that yields your own personal uh, um, route instead of going God's route and following God's will for your life. You see, I find this happening all the time, especially during quarantine. I can easily find myself doing things that are for my own benefit, that are outside of God's will for me, just because it's easier. I mean, we, we all joke, but our quarantine diets. <laughs> we find ourselves like eating and gouging and wanting to just completely, um, you know, partake in whatever we can get our hands on and uh, um, instead of being healthy. We, we're finding ourselves giving into our flesh because it's easier to give into our flesh during these times, during our circumstances, than it is to do the will of God. And so maybe there is a little Demas coming out of you that you need to squash. And, um, and this took a huge toll on uh, the fellowship that he had with Paul. Paul was extremely hurt. He was a fellow worker. They worked alongside one another, and now you see him completely disappeared. I don't know if you've ever had a Christian friend just completely go off the deep end and leave and disappear, but it hurts. It absolutely does hurt. The next person we see in verse 10 as we continue, it says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, has departed for Thessalonica. We see Crescens for Galatia. Crescens for Galatia. Now, we don't know if Crescens is a group of people or if it's a person's name, um, it can go either which way, but it is typically thought that it's actually somebody's name. And uh, my question is, of course, what do we know about them? We don't know anything about them. And I think that might be one of the coolest things about the Christians is that we do not know anything about them. You see, there's people in our church that we do not know anything about what they do to help serve at church. You see, there's things that happen behind the scenes that happen without us tying it to a name. I mean, absolutely, the amazing thing about this morning is uh, Anthony sends me a text message. Hey, do you have any slides that you need to use or Bible verses that you need to reference? And I just simply took a picture of my notes on my phone, texted it to him, and then uh, him and Mike sat down and created all of these yeah, I got it. Beautiful uh, text uh, next to me. And um, I, they don't do that for the attention that I just gave them. They do that every single week. And there's people that make the coffee. There's people that um, set up every Sunday. There's people that break down every Sunday. There's people that are making our church service happen um, without any acknowledgement. It's just something that they do and they're not tied to it whatsoever um, as far as us giving them shout-outs and, yeah, good job and uh, all those different things because they don't care about that. What they ultimately care about is serving God. And to me, that's what these, these, this, uh, this guy, the Crescens, um, is, is that he's a behind-the-scenes guy. We have no idea, you know, what he did or how it happened, but we see that he meant something to Paul, so he's behind the scenes guy doing something um, to help further the gospel and the work that Paul was doing, but he's doing it for no credit whatsoever. He's doing it solely up to God. You see, this word crescens, the name, it literally means growing. My question to us is, are we growing in our service toward God? Do you find yourself serving and it doesn't necessarily have to be the person that's packing up the chairs at the end of service. It doesn't have to be the person that's entering the slides or doing the music behind me. Um, what are you doing to serve God? And is your service growing? Do you find yourself serving more than you did last year? Do you find yourself 
serving less? Do you find yourself even serving at all? And that's the question. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Um, and it reads, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, uh, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, one of the things that I always have to ask myself when I'm serving is, am I seeking to please man or am I seeking to please God? And if I am seeking to please God, it's not going to matter whatsoever who sees me and who doesn't see me because I'm doing it all before God. And to me, that's exactly what these questions were doing, is that they were seeking to please God in their service. We don't know anything about them. We don't, we don't see anywhere in Scripture what they did, how they did it, what their role was behind something. We don't know how big or how small it was. And ultimately, it doesn't matter, because they were serving. And it doesn't matter the circumstance that they're in. He found himself serving. It doesn't matter if, you know, we're having uh, problems um, at home or we're having problems um, with friends or we're stuck in home, whatever it is. We can still find ourselves serving in any way, shape, or form. I mean, this morning, uh, I, it's so funny. I love uh, where I live. When I pull up to the lights, there's always like a homeless guy like asking for money or different things. And for some reason, I always have like food that I'm eating in my car. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that I had a bag of uh, salt and vinegar chips uh, sitting right next to me. And I was sitting there eating them. And the guy's walking up with the sign. And it doesn't say like, help, uh, I need a job or help. Um, I need money. It just said simply, hungry, can you help? And I was sitting there eating my chips. And I'm reading the sign. And I roll the windows down. And I hand the guy the, the bag of chips, and he sticks his hand in without even looking at the bag, takes a bite, and goes, oh. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's salt and vinegar. <laughs> um, but, but, like, how do you find yourself serving? Maybe it's, it's giving a homeless guy on the corner uh, uh, a, a bagged thing of food that you have that you carry around for the homeless. Maybe it's actually in your home serving your wife or your husband. I can tell you right now, I need to do the dishes more than I do. And that's a way that I could be serving my wife. And, and guess what? That's, in essence, a way that I am serving God. And what areas of my life do I need to take a look at and say, hmm, am I serving? And what's my motivation behind it? Am I doing it to get the attention of somebody? Or am I just simply doing it for my love of God? Um, the next person that we're going to look at, which I absolutely uh, love, is Titus. Still in verse 10 with me. Uh, we're moving along. It says, Titus for Dalmatia. Now, Titus um, is a very interesting character. He's one of the more popular ones that we're going to be looking at in this area of Scripture. Uh, we see him over 13 times in the New Testament. Uh, the very next book of the Bible is dedicated to Titus. Um, but the cool thing about Titus is I like to call him uh, the Rambo of Christians. 
and uh, I have a dog, and he's pretty big, and we named him Rambo, um, only because when my wife and I first got married, we moved, the first house we moved into, we didn't have cable for like the first month, and all we had was like two channels, and the first like Saturday morning that we woke up and we wanted to hang out, we turned on the TV, and it was like a, like, it had to be like the whole two weeks without cable. I think that channel only ran Rambo on the TV. And so we named, our, we named our dog Rambo once we got him, just in memory of we watched Rambo for two straight weeks, all the different uh, uh, movies. Um, but I like to call this guy the Rambo of Christians um, because we see him step in uh, to take over. We see him step in when there's a major problem. And it's the very end of Acts. We see that um, Christians are growing rapidly on this island called Crete. And Paul had been there teaching and doing miracles, and Christianity just started booming out of control. And uh, people were getting converted right and left, and it's, it's a truly amazing story. But what ends up happening is that Paul is imprisoned, and there's no one there to, leave the, to lead the church. And so Paul is exited, and he has no one there to take over, and he reaches out to Titus, and uh, he says, Titus, you know what? You need to go there and take over. And the problem of this island of Crete was that they were known for three things, like the absolute biggest raging parties that you could ever imagine. They were known to be liars, and they were known to be lazy, and um, I'm sure all of us know people that you could uh, uh, label as a person from the island of Crete, and, um, and maybe you're that person right now, and God's telling you you need to stop. <laughs> um, but uh, the crazy thing is, is that in the midst of all of this craziness that was going on in Crete, um, Paul sent Titus, and he sent Titus there for a very specific reason, to clean up what was going on in the church, and to put order to everything that was going on in the church. You see, Titus's name means nurse. It means nurse. And um, I absolutely love nurses, um, but there's one thing that I don't like. There's actually two things that I cannot stand in life is the dentist. I'm sorry for all those dentists out there. And number two are hospitals and doctor's offices. And um, I'll never forget, I came back from a trip overseas, and about two weeks after coming back from that trip, um, all of a sudden my entire body started breaking out in like sores. And it was like the grossest uh, thing, most painful thing that I think I've experienced on my body. Um, and, but it was so gross. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. And uh, I let it go for probably way longer than I should have. Um, before a doctor at Calvary came to my office and looked at it and said, yeah, you're dying and we need to go get this checked out. <laughs> and uh, so I'll never forget that um, he's like, you can't go to the hospital. You can't go to a normal doctor. I have a special disease uh, doctor down in Miami um, that knows all about these things and you need to go there. So I got in my car, I drove there. I go to the office and they put me in this room that was like the most gorgeous doctor's room I've ever been in my entire life. Everything in the room was like perfectly white. And if it wasn't white, it was like chrome and shiny. And there was like no posters on the wall. There was like nothing. Everything was just extremely clean. Um, and I'll never forget the nurses came in and they're wearing all white scrubs, white shoes. They had, they had like uh, 
it's almost like a coronavirus thing nowadays. They had a mask on with a shield over their face because they had no idea what kind of disease that I had and they didn't know like what was going to happen. And so the first thing they said, they said, where's the biggest sore on your, on your, on your body? And I said, oh, it's on my calf. And uh, so they said, uh, I was wearing shorts at the time. They said, hey, just move your leg over here and we need to do this thing called taking a core sample. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And all of a sudden they get this like device that's like this big and the has like a, like a hole in it like this big and uh, they line it up right on my sore and she's like, this is probably gonna hurt a little bit and they seriously just put it on the sore and I thought like, okay, it's gonna scrape the top. No, this thing like went in like half an inch and took out like a quarter size like chunk out of my leg and I'll never forget that when they removed the tool, um, like blood just started going like everywhere <laughs> and everything's white and now blood is like everywhere and I'm like sitting there like my face is turning white and I'm like uh. and the nurse looked at me and goes hey Russ don't worry we got it taken care of and I promise you within like seconds the bleeding had been stopped and I don't know if it was like a true like couple seconds because I might have passed out but but everything was like sewed up on my leg and everything was back to normal and she's just like see told you and to me, the coolest thing about a nurse is they don't simply just look at my sores and say, oh yeah, we gotta rub some ointment on that and take some Advil for the pain, is they're doing a complete like biopsy to figure out what's wrong with me so they can treat me at the source instead of just rubbing some cream and a Band-Aid over it. That's what a nurse does. That's what Titus was sent to do, not just to fill in for Paul, and he was there to set up elders. He was there to, to set up um, pastors and servants and to truly develop the church to fix everything at its core. That's why Titus was the, the Rambo of, of Christians. You know, he was sent into the wildest things to fix and to correct and to put back in line everything that there was. Now, um, as we continue, we're actually going to move to verse 11 now, and it says, only Luke is with me. Now, to me, the first time I ever read this um, verse, I felt bad for Luke. Um, I truly did. The first time I read this, I felt really bad for Luke, because you have Paul, who's reaching out, wanting uh, community, and he's missing and earnestly like wanting people around him, and I, t I find out that Luke's been with him the whole time. And what's his statement? Yeah, only Luke's with me. And so like the first time I read it, I was like, oh yeah, um, hey Tim, uh, get here as fast as you possibly can because I can't spend another waking minute with just Luke. <laughs> um, that's how I first read it. But when you actually think about who Luke was, um, it's truly amazing. Uh, you don't see him too much outside of the gospel. You see him about three times outside of the gospel, um, but yet he is one of our true pillars of Christianity. Um, he is obviously the writer of the book of Luke, um, but he's also known uh, to be the writer of Acts. And he travels with Paul in order to get the stories that he did. And um, he was given to Paul, um, a rich guy. It was thought that Luke was a physician for this rich person. And the person said, hey, you're going to get sick. You're going to run into problems. I'm going to give you my servant. Um, uh, a doctor to travel with you. Now, the amazing thing about Luke is, like, we don't tend to think about it, but when Paul is shipwrecked, well, Luke's with him too. You know, when they walk, when they're leaving a city because they're getting rocks thrown at them, well, guess what? Luke is there too, getting rocks thrown at him. So the crazy thing about Luke is that he went through these things 
alongside of Paul. Now, the amazing thing that he did um, outside of go through all these things um, with Paul uh, relates back to his name. His name means light bearer. And I absolutely love this because there, darkness cannot exist when light enters into the room. And that is what is defining Luke and his name and who he is. You see, when you live and travel with somebody, you get to know that person. You get to know the good things. You get to know the bad things about the person. You see the good, the ugly, the terrible. Um, that happens when you're in relationship, living alongside somebody. Um, the crazy thing is, when I look at it, I, I, t- I tend to take a look at Luke and Paul, and I say, you know what? They were there to basically hold each other accountable. They did all the traveling together. They were there to make sure that each other were taken care of. They were there. Um, it was a given that Luke was going to be with Paul anywhere he went. But in a relationship where they're so close, traveling and doing life together and seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, they become a forced accountability. And uh, to me, when we look at your circumstances you're in, there's nothing more in, you lo- in your life than you need um, than accountability partner. Because when you're going through something, um, sometimes for me, like my wife isn't the person that I need to go to when I'm going through something for many different reasons. But one of the main reasons is, is because usually the thing I'm going through is because I am fighting with my wife. And um, I absolutely love uh, the fact that um, I told you guys when I first started that Andrew is a close friend of mine. And um, my wife and I, it was a little bit over a week ago, we were going through a pretty big fight. And... Um, and it's not like I didn't clean the garage again. Uh, it was something a little bit bigger than that. And uh, we were having a hard time discussing it. We were so mad at each other um, that we were having a hard time sitting down and working things out. And uh, so, of course, Vanessa um, uh, is friends with Brittany and reaches out to Brittany. And, of course, I'm friends with Andrew. And uh, um, I don't reach out to Andrew for accountability and to tell him what I'm going through. And I completely fail whatsoever. So I, you know, I get a phone call from Andrew um, in a conference call. I put it on mute. Uh, hey, Andrew, what's going on? He's like, he's like, nothing too much. What about you? I was like, uh, just on a conference call. Nothing much going on. He's like, how are you doing? I'm like, eh, doing pretty good. And he goes, oh, really? So why did I have to find out from Brittany um, that you guys are in a pretty big fight? And I was like, ah, dang, got me. Got me. Um, I wasn't seeking the accountability that I should have been. And it's something like that I should have been seeking. And it was something that I absolutely needed, absolutely, like at that moment, at that very time, we ended up actually having um, Andrew and Brittany come over and help us work through the problem that we were facing. And it was like the greatest thing in the entire world. It's like we had been fighting for days and um, we couldn't get past it. And we have friends that come by that we called that we were both seeking accountability in. They came and sat down and just listened to Vanessa and I discuss things. And I don't know if it's just having another person in the room that you trust and that you care about, but that night, like everything was cleaned up and we continued on in our marriage, like as if nothing happened. But we wouldn't have been able to do it without the accountability of somebody. Um, when we're going through a circumstance, it is so hard to do it by ourselves. It is insane to do it by yourselves. We were never meant to do it by ourselves. Paul, reaching out to people. Hey, Timothy. Get here quickly, I need you. Hey, I got Luke by my side. Luke, I need you. 
We need each other. At the end of the day, we don't just need accountability. We need somebody to live life with because they're going to be going through something that you have probably been through and you can speak into their lives. And if it's something that that they're going through, you might be able to speak into their lives. And if they've never gone through it whatsoever, you might just need a little bit of godly advice to get you through it. We need accountability. And we see that that is the perfect thing for Luke um, to be to Paul. Now, it's just not accountability that we need. Um, Paul is also going to speak in verse 11, as we continue in verse 11, about somebody else. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. To me, I think it's absolutely amazing um, if, if Paul were to say, hey, go get Russ. He's useful for ministry. I would lighten my whole entire day. (laughs) You have the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament saying, hey, go get him. I need him. And he's useful. To me, that is absolutely amazing um, that that it's being said of uh, John Mark that he is useful. And to me, it it speaks, you know, a huge, absolutely like a huge statement to make about anybody if you say they're useful for ministry because it says that they've lived their life in a way and they've proven themselves in a way that they are now useful um, to the top dog in in ministry um, to carry out something that needs. However, that's not necessarily, uh, this hasn't been necessarily the case uh, for all of John Mark's life. Um, it was Acts chapter 13 where things get uh, rough uh, for Paul and his journey, and John Mark was alongside him, and John Mark says, yep, washing my hands of this, and I'm getting out of here, and he deserts Paul. He leaves him. You know, things get rough, and John Mark takes off, and it's Acts chapter 15 um, when you see Barnabas. Hey, Paul, we're going to take, uh, take John Mark with us on the rest of this journey, and, and Paul's like, no, we're not. That guy deserted me, and I'm not taking him with me anywhere else I go. I can't trust this guy, and it causes a fight between Paul and Barnabas, and they separate their ways, and they, John, Mark, and Barnabas go one way. Paul goes the other way, and uh, it was ultimately works out for God's glory because now you have these awesome uh, evangelists going out to different areas of the world and spreading the gospel even further, but now we see Paul saying, hey, Go get John Mark. He's useful. Something changed. Something happened in John Mark's life that caused him now to be useful. You see, Mark's name means defense. And um, there, that means that he turned into this man that where there was no more running, where he was going to stand his ground despite anything that happened. There was a change that occurred in his life um, where he became a new, different man. And um, the amazing thing about this is now, despite the circumstances and how rough it may be, John Mark's not running anywhere except into battle as a defensive linebacker that's 6'8", 375 pounds, the biggest Godzilla man that you could ever imagine. And uh, that's, that's his new role. That's who he's become. And the amazing thing about this is I see like when the circumstances uh, in the beginning of his uh, time in ministry got rough, he ran, got scared, couldn't take it, and he headed out. Now he's changed. Now he's now useful for ministry. Now the person that wanted nothing to do with him back in Acts 15 is saying, yeah, no, 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 I need that guy. Go get him. And 
to me, that opens up a completely different arena for myself because there's many times where my circumstances have gotten really bad and you know what, I, I threw the towel in and I said, oh, I'm done, can't take it anymore. And um, it gives me hope that God's grace is so fantastic that it can change our lives in a way that we are now useful. Um, continuing in verse uh, 12, we see now Tychius, I have sent, sent to Ephesus. Now, this guy's name, uh, uh, Tychicus, uh, means faithful, which means far-reaching implications. Now, his role in ministry was to deliver letters that Paul was writing. He, he delivered uh, to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians. He delivered to the church of uh, Colossae, Colossians. And now we see him delivering uh, 2 Timothy. This guy facilitated the word of God going forth. Now, <clears throat> we all know that it's our responsibility, even in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, we see that it's our uh, responsibility to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. It's our duty to make sure the word of God is going forth. Now, this guy could not just hop on a plane, could not hop on a train, could not hop in a car to deliver this letter. He had to travel miles upon miles, whether it be by foot, um, whether it be by ship, um, whatever it may be, despite the circumstances, this guy got the job done. And because he got the job done, not just once, not just twice, who knows how many times, uh, Paul relied on him. So despite anything in his circumstances, nothing was going to stop him from doing the work of God. In verse 13, as we continue, it says, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. So now the next person that we see is Carpus. And Carpus, um, we don't know too much of anything about him, but what we do know is that his cloak and, or Paul's cloak and uh, books were left at his house, which lends us to believe that, A, he was trustworthy, that Paul could leave valuables there. Uh, he's not going to go steal them or sell them on the black market. Um, but also um, that his duty as a Christian was to receive those that were sent. His duty was to take care of the body of Christ when they needed something. And this guy had the ultimate gift of hospitality, something that I absolutely do not have. Um, if you want a glass of water at my house, you better know in the fridge where to get the water because I'm not going to be offering it to you. Um, but despite anything that's going on in his life, it was counted on that, that you could show up at his house and he would take care of you. He was willing to go out of his way um, to take care of you. The, one of the most hospitable people that you can know without knowing because we don't know much about him. These are all assumptions I'm making. Um, but as we continue in verses 14 and 15, um, it says, Alexander the coppersmith did much harm to me. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him um, for he has greatly resisted our words. Alexander the coppersmith. Now this is somebody that you probably do not want to take on the character of him. Um, it says he was a coppersmith, which simply means that he worked with metal. And the majority of metal in Rome, um, guys that were working with metal, they were made to make idols. Well, guess what Paul was doing? Paul was absolutely annihilating this guy's business. <laughs> I mean, that was, Paul's coming in, converting people to Christians. These guys are getting rid of their idols, and there's less people to sell idols to. So many believe that this guy is actually the guy that turned Paul into, uh, into Rome and uh, handed him in. Um, but it's very important to understand what his name 
means. His name means man defender. This guy does not defend God. He defends man. He defends your sin, your flesh, the the embodiment of who you are without the spirit. Paul gives a, a, a stern warning to stay away from him because we are called to stay away from our sin. We are called to stay away from idols. We are called to stay away from different things. Why? Because the enemy is always looking to get you. And he is cunning and he is clever and you most likely are not going to win in your flesh. And so Paul gives us this warning of stay away from sin. Stay away from idols in your life. Stay away from uh, your flesh. Fight against it. You know, be aware of it. Be aware that in your flesh you're not going to beat him. You're going to end up buying an idol from him. And uh, this is something that in our, con- in, in our current circumstances, um, depending on the circumstance that you're in, it's extremely easy to give in to sin. It's extremely easy to give in to these different things. It's verse 16 as we continue. It says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now, we don't know if this is his first defense when he goes up to court in Rome this time or if it was a different time that he was standing in trial. But what we do know is that um, there were Christians in the audience um, that were there. And uh, what Christians uh, were these that didn't stand up? We don't know. Their names weren't mentioned. And maybe we don't know because they didn't stand up. So we don't know exactly who was in the room. Um, But because of their circumstances, they've decided to be the ones that don't volunteer. They're the ones that decided not to engage into a community. They're the ones that are just out there um, living life on their own. And uh, I can tell you right now that I, at heart, am one of these people. I had no desire to be a part of a community. I had uh, no desire to get involved in a church. I used to show up uh, in the middle of the first song and leave uh, right when the last song started just so I didn't have to hang around and talk to people. Uh, My last church I went to for probably four months before someone realized that I actually went to that church. (laughs) Um, I had no desire, but what I realized by coming to Solace is that I was missing a community that I could... I could never imagine um, now not having. Like, I, can't, I can't live life without that. And these people, it's basically a warning to us um, that they don't know what they're missing by not engaging into a community. They don't know what they're missing by not standing up and volunteering and serving. They don't know what they're missing by not entering into a community. And I hope at the end of all of this quarantine, when things go back to normal, if you weren't in a community before, like now's the time to get involved into a community and uh, because you don't know what you're missing. Um, Like I didn't realize how much I needed community until I was in community and realized what I was missing my entire life. Um, Verses 17 and 18, it says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You want to talk about a man and their character during their circumstances, it's Paul. We talked about how he is, he's facing um, you know, his head getting chopped off. And what is his statement towards the end of his letter? Um, but the Lord stood with me. He understood in the midst of any circumstance that he was going through, that God was never going to leave him nor forsake him. He knew 
that God was always with them despite anything that he was going to walk through. So maybe you are one of those people that I talked about in the beginning of the service that you're going, you're not the Joanna Gaines and Chip uh, Gaines that are doing uh, work around your house. Maybe you're one of those people that are encountering depression. Maybe you're one of those people that is, is having family struggles because of it. Um, know that God is with you no matter what. And if you know that, what it's going to cause is an eruption of praise just like we see in Paul here. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is delighted to tell people that even though he's in a pit in jail facing a beheading, that he still has God with him and God's still the one that he needs to praise. It's verse 19 as we finish up here. It's greet Priscilla and Aquila in the house of Anis. Here we go. Uh, on a forest house. <laughs> I completely botched that, so ignore that. But we see Priscilla and Aquila, um, um, Prisca and Aquila. Uh, Prisca's name means ancient. Aquila's name means eagle. So what does that mean in a spiritual sense? Um, I got no idea. Beats me. Um, I'm not even going to try making something up for you because we got ancient eagle. But what we do know about these guys is that in the book of Acts chapter 18, we see that they're tent makers, um, that they were willing to travel wherever they were needed. Despite the circumstances that they had, they were willing to pick up their things and go anywhere they were needed. We saw that it was uh, Anisphorus's household. Um, this guy's name, I'm not even going to try saying it again, uh, means brings profit. This guy refreshed Paul when Paul needed a refreshing. Um, he was able to actually preach during the time that Paul was in prison, and so he refreshed him, and he was able to fill in for him, but the beautiful thing about this is it says his entire household. His entire household was bringing profit to Paul. Why? Because Paul was constantly traveling, and so this was his family while he was on the road. We don't ever see Paul talking too much about his family outside of the church family, and I like to imagine that this is the family that's taken him in and treated him like family whenever he needed it. Um, Verse 20, Erastas stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus. Um, the next person we see is Erastus. This guy's name means beloved. And if you want to talk about any circumstance that you might be going through, love is the ultimate thing that you should have during your circumstances. This was the guy that was left in Corinth once Paul left. And if anybody knows anything about Corinth, um, and if you don't, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians um, are two letters that Paul wrote, and they're both very stern corrections because there was a lot going on there. Well, this guy stayed there despite what was going on. He stayed there and was the love that the Corinth church needed. And also we saw in verse 20 that it's Trophimus. Um, this guy's name means nutritious. <laughs> now, what we do know of this guy in uh, verse 20 is that Paul left him sick. <laughs> Paul didn't stay there and work a miracle to heal him or get him out of his sickness or wait for him to be better before he took off. It says that Paul left him there sick. This guy was not nutritious in the sense of health. He was nutritious in the sense of Christ. He knew the work of the Lord needed to continue despite anything that were to come away. Now, we don't know much about him outside of this one little tiny section of scripture, but if you guys do have the time, I highly suggest you finding a sermon by Charles Spurgeon that's called The Sick Man Left Behind um, because it is absolutely amazing, a breakdown of, um, 
of this man. And Spurgeon's three points were um, that the, it's sometimes the will of God that good men um, should be ill in health. Um, another point was that good men may be laid aside when they seem to be the most needed. And the third one was that good men have the Lord's work go on whatever becomes of him. And to me, that is absolutely amazing. Even though he's sick, he didn't want Paul to stay with him because he knew that the will and the word of God must continue to go forth. And so you want to talk about um, a character in the midst of a circumstance. This guy's on his deathbed and he's saying, Paul, I love you, man. You got to get out of here because I don't want to be the one that's hindering the word of God from going forth. And what an attitude to have. And uh, to me, it's absolutely amazing. Um, it's verse 21, um, and it says, do your utmost to come before winter. Uh, Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, um, Linnaeus, Claudia, and all the brethren. Um, he lists off a whole bunch of names, and to me, I don't, I, I, there's no significant name uh, meaning behind their names. Um, we don't see them all throughout uh, Paul's writings. We don't know uh, really anything about these people, but we do know is that Paul simply enjoyed their presence. For him to finish his, um, his last words on a letter and to mention them, um, it means that these people were significant to him. It means that they were there with him. And maybe it was just there for a laugh. Maybe it was there for uh, a shoulder to cry on. We have no idea. But we do know that they're significant. Um, the amazing thing about our circumstances is that our circumstances ultimately should not affect our character. One of the things I started off by saying is I want you to take a deep look at who you are, um, remove any facade that you are uh, putting off, and take a look at your, your heart, your mind, and your soul. The deeper that you look at your core of who you are, and the deeper that you go in, you should see Christ. You see, Christ died and rose again, left the earth, and when he left, he left his Holy Spirit, which has been sealed inside of us. And so the deeper that we look inside of us, we should hope to find the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that's what we should be concentrating on for our power to overcome the circumstances that we're in. That's what we should be looking for to build our character. Um, God lived the perfect life. Jesus lived the perfect life on earth, gave us the example so that we could do his will on earth until the day that we die. Now, the beautiful thing about us is that maybe you were Demas or maybe do you see Demas uprising in you and it's something that you do not like or maybe it was something so amazing that you are a Titus and you're the Rambo of Christians. Um, whatever it may be, I can tell you this, that God's word promises us that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, every single one of us, if we look and truly examine ourselves, we were a mark where we deserted Paul in a rough time, where we, we shook our hands off to Christianity for maybe a brief moment and indulged into sin or left and ran and hid. But the beautiful thing about Mark is that later on in his ministry, he's now useful to Paul. And knowing that God is perfecting in us a work and he's going to continue to perfect that, that promise that he's going to continue until the day of Jesus Christ is something that we should just 
take in and embrace and absolutely look to God and say, thank you. Thank you that your grace is going to give me the power to take on the character of you. And it was only through his death that we have that power.